Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson, and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. At the end of the day, you just really have to give a damn about people. Like you really have to care about people. So this idea that, you know, who you are is more important than what you do. Like I really, really believe that to the core of who I am. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I'm joined by Grant Baldwin. Grant's the founder and CEO of Speaker Lab, an organization that helps people launch, grow, and scale successful speaking businesses. He joined me recently to talk about leadership, sharing your message, and how he's built a company culture of flexibility and accountability by being intentional about connection. Grant shared his insight on his journey and the challenges that he's overcome as a human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, Grant. It's great to have you with us. Amy, this is going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for letting me hang out with you. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. So first of all, can you tell us a bit about you and your organization, please? Yeah. So uh, I run a training company called The Speaker Lab, where we teach people how to find and book paid speaking engagements. And so my career actually has been in the speaking industry for uh, close to two decades now. Um, I was a full-time speaker for about seven, eight years and and uh, did a lot of, I was just on the road all the time speaking and, and loved it. And then had a lot of people who were asking me like, hey, I want to be a speaker. How do I go about doing that? And the speaking industry is one that's been around for a long time. It's been here before either of us. Um, but it's, it's one of those kind of like mysterious things. And people want to know like, how do you find gigs? what do you speak about and who hires speakers and how much do you charge and how does this mysterious bubble work? And so we started doing some teaching, coaching, training around that. And that's really evolved into what we do with the, the Speaker Lab today. So we focus primarily on the business of speaking. How do you actually find a book gigs? And those questions that I, I mentioned of what do you speak about and how much do you charge and who hires speakers? Mm-hmm. How does it work? That, that's what we do at the Speaker Lab. Amazing. And so you're just over eight years in? Uh, yeah, just about. As a speaker lab, yeah. And, and so as the CEO of that kind of organization, you know, are you, are you working globally currently? Yeah, we actually, uh, we, I'm based here in the U.S. and the majority of Mm -hmm. our team is based in the U.S. We have some team that is overseas. We're a completely virtual company, but uh, we have students and clients in all 50 U.S. states and in 49 countries around the world. So the speaking industry, yeah, it certainly spans the globe. Yeah, absolutely. And so as a leader of that kind of organization with that global reach, what kind of challenges are you up against at the moment? Well, I think that, you know, one of the things that works well in this particular industry is it's one that, again, it's been around for a long time. Um, It's not some type of new flash in the pan. You know, if we were teaching, I don't know, TikTok marketing or something, you're like, you know, it's it's hot today, but is it going to be hot, you know, two, three years from now? So Uh the the speaking industry is one that has been around for a long time. People have always been interested in it. Um, It it survived, uh, you know, recessions and depressions and 9-11 and pandemics and wars. And it's not going anywhere. It's going to be around Mm -hmm. long after us. And so it's, it's definitely that creates a lot of opportunities opportunities that exist. Um, so I think like for for us, I don't know that there's necessarily any specific, you know, global problems. The pandemic was certainly, you know, the biggest uh, global pro- problem that uh, we, we've certainly all faced. And, you know, when, um, uh, and I would say like, you know, fast forward to today and the pandemic was actually one of the best possible things for the speaking industry because it's created a lot of opportunities that did not previously exist. So yeah, I, I kind of feel like if, if we can survive the the pandemic um, and, and ride that out, then, you know, we'll, we'll be, uh, we'll be fine for whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so in terms of managing a, a remote team, as you said, you're hundred percent remote and you're across, mm-hmm. you know, across yep. the States and, and external to that, what kind of challenges do you face in terms of leading and motivating a team? Is that something that you've had to develop the skill set around or 
Yeah, 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 for sure. And because it's, you know, there's pros and cons with it. Uh, I personally want to work from home. Um, I'm married to my high school sweetheart. We've been married for 21 years. We've got three daughters. It's me and a house of all the women. It's awesome. It's the best. Uh, And so selfishly, I want to be here so that as soon Mm -hmm. as we're done, I can go out and see my girls and hug them and hang out with them. Uh, And so I like working from home. Um, And so, and then providing people a lot of autonomy, freedom, and flexibility on where uh, where they work and when they work, right? So it creates a new environment. So even like, you know, that a lot of this virtual environment type of work emerged throughout the pandemic, but this was something that we've been doing since day one and something that we anticipate doing for a long time. Now, the downside is like, you're not rubbing shoulders with people. You're not, you know, seeing people in the hallways. You're not, you know, going out for a drink or something after work. Uh, and so you lose some of that, but it just means we, we, uh, we, ha- we have to be really, really intentional about culture, about connection, about helping people mm-hmm. feel a part of something that's bigger than themselves when they're not in the same room with everyone. So we've been really, really, really intentional about that. And uh, I think that that you could go do an anonymous survey with anybody on our team and they would say that they feel a part of the team, that they feel connected, that they feel valued and cared for, that they feel like um, that they are a part of something that's bigger than themselves, that we talk a lot about culture. And they would all say that culture is one of the biggest um, uh, assets that we have as a, as a company. And so um, it, it's not necessarily... Um, I don't know that it's you know easier or harder than an in-person thing. It's just something you just have to be intentional about and, and prioritize as a virtual company. Okay. And so there'll be a lot of CEOs listening at the moment that have certainly hybrid, if not fully remote teams. But are there any sort of tangible tactics that have worked particularly well for you in that area that you can share? Yeah. Yeah. So a few things. One is that... Um, uh, I think you just have to embrace a virtual culture from the beginning and and recognize some of the trade-offs. Meaning, like I think a lot of times, uh, certainly old school CEOs say, "Okay, if I if I can't see people, then I don't know if they're working. I don't know what they're doing, and I don't know if I can trust them." Right? And that's that's like mm-hmm. a, a common um, concern that people have, and I feel that at times, right? And I'm you know if I'm not interacting, if I don't hear from someone for a day or two, a direct report of mine, I'm going what are they doing? You know, are they, you know, are they doing work or are they goofing off? Or I, I, I don't know. And so you, you have to have baked in just a, we trust people and we give yeah. people freedom and we give people flexibility and we give people autonomy and either they're, they're doing their job or they're not. And so whenever yeah. I'm questioning whether or not someone is working or, you know, are they taking a Wednesday afternoon off just for the heck of it? I got to look at the big picture and determine like, all right, are they getting results? Are they doing what we've hired them to do? And it may not mm-hmm. always come in this like nine to five cookie cutter box, you know, maybe they're doing some stuff on the weekends. Maybe they were up early. Maybe they're staying up late. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's one thing. Another thing is we, we do, um, we have a couple different department meetings, some team meetings. I do a lot of one-on-one meetings with team members just to stay connected. So as the CEO, I actually do a one-on-one uh, quarterly meeting, just a 15-minute meeting with everybody in the company. We have about 35 people on the team. So every quarter, I just do a quick 15-minute, I knock three or four out per week um, mm-hmm. uh, each each week. And those are, I did four of them yesterday. And they're just like, just a touch base and just a, hey, how are you doing? We talk rarely about work stuff. A lot of time it's mm-hmm. it's like, hey, tell me, you know, you, you got vacation coming up or you just did this thing or you just got married. How, how was the wedding? And we're just having a conversation about life. So one yeah. thing we talk a lot about internally is that who you are is more important than what you do. Who you are is more important than what you do. Meaning like if we're great podcasters, if we're great entrepreneurs, but we drop the ball as husbands, as wives, as moms, as dads, if we are a shell of a human being, we're doing it wrong. And so I want to make sure that our team knows that we genuinely care about you. Yeah, the work that you do, what you provide to the company and to our students, to our clients, to our audience is important, but mm-hmm. none of that matters if we don't give a crap about you. And so yeah. I want to make, make, make it really, really clear that we care about you. We're interested in you. We 
we are invested in in you. So um, that's really helpful. Um, I'm trying to think of some other like tactical. Here's one other thing that we do that's very tactical. Uh, well, two things. One is um, we use Slack religiously. Um, and so all of our communication happens via Slack and there's pros and cons with that, but it's a great way for people to stay connected. Uh, within Slack, one thing that we have really adopted is doing uh, shout outs. And so we have a shout outs channel within Slack and uh, on any given day, you will see 20 to 30 to 40 shout outs of team members. Uh, and I want to, you know, Hey, I want to shout out, uh, Tom in marketing for his help with this different project, you know, and Hey, uh, and Steve just had a huge, huge day in sales. And I just want to shout that. And like, you just see teammates cross department who are Mm -hmm. shouting out and encouraging one another. And so there's a, a, um, a, a culture and community of I'm cheering for you. I'm rooting for you. We're all in this together. We all need to, yeah. to, to do our part. Another tool that we use that's been helpful is a tool called 15-5 to so the number 15 and then spelled out five, one, five, five, F-I-V-E. And so what that basically is, is every single week, everybody on the team submits that. It's a it's a short little survey. Um, it's kind of a, a one through five rating. How was your week? And then some mm-hmm. highlights, some lowlights, a couple other potential optional questions. The goal is for it to take someone, you know, five, 10 minutes to fill out real quick. Mm-hmm. Those um, kind of surveys are then sent to their uh, directors. And it's just kind of a chance for them to kind of touch, touch base of like, hey, here's how my week's going. Here's a project I'm working on. Here's something I'm stuck on. Here's something I'm frustrated mm-hmm. on. Here's something, you know, th- that went really well this week that I'm proud of. And it's a, it's a, uh, a medium for, for team members to be able to communicate. And I, so I see um, my direct reports, the directors and leadership team, I see theirs, uh, they come to me. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I hear like, what's on their radar? What's on their mind? What are things that are working working for them or things that they're frustrated with or, or stuck on that I can help with? So it's just some type of like every single week, everybody fills this mm-hmm. out. And it's just a quick little checkpoint on, hey, how are you doing? And is there anything that I can do to help you? Yeah, probably at much richer data than the than the fifteen minute check ins as well because it's a different context, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, because it's just a chance of um, like uh, one of the things that's great about it is there are different kind of rotating questions, okay, um, that that come up on a weekly basis. And so one of the questions that comes up, you know, every couple months or so is, uh, is there anything that you want to bring up that you've been uncomfortable to? to bring up with me. Right. And it gives someone a chance to say like, yeah, this has been on my mind and I haven't known what to Mm -hmm. say, but let me just type it out. And then it gives us something to talk about. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, um, so that's been beneficial. Whereas, you know, if you're in an office, you may have a chance to say, Hey, can I, can we have 10 minutes just like talk something through? I got to get something off my chest. Right. But Mm -hmm. um, it gives them kind of an an outlet, a team member, an outlet to express something that that's on their mind or on their radar because everybody also completes the one through five kind of pulse score of how their week was. We can also look at that on a cumulative basis and just see like, what are the trends? You know, are we Mm -hmm. as a, as across the company, what's our average? Is that average going up? Is it going down? Is it staying? steady uh we can kind of compare like what's the general pulse uh within the company mm-hmm. and it's important as well because you can't see if somebody's got their head down and i don't mean in the sense of them getting stuck into the work but if someone's got their head yep. down you, you don't really see that do you when you you're working remotely unless someone's open enough with you so that's a good tip i might borrow that one grant thank you good and, and tell us about your evolution of your leadership career then was it always going to be the case that you're going to have your own business so be ceo is that always yeah, on the cards? Good, really good question. So there was a a really pivotal mo- moment for me, I think, uh, a couple pivotal moments. One was 
Um, my background, actually, I, I was in high school, I was really involved in my local church and my youth pastor had a really big impact on my life. And I was like, I want to do that. Like if I can kind of, if I can make the kind of difference in others' lives that he made in my life, like that seems incredibly rewarding, fulfilling. So that was kind of the path I was on. I went to Bible mm-hmm. college and then worked at a local church as a youth pastor. Um, parts of what I liked, parts of what I didn't like, but the thing I really enjoyed was speaking. I felt like I was mm-hmm. decent at it and wanted to do more of it. So um, started learning about speaking, started booking some gigs and again, built that up over the next several years and was, was doing that full time. I got to a point where I kind of felt a bit restless, a bit bored. Um, and part of it was, I remember a, a friend saying one time that speaking is a high paying manual labor job in that you get paid really, really well to stand on stage and talk. But the nature of it is you, you have to show up and do it right. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a surgeon, a surgeon makes really, really good money, but you got to go do surgery. Right. So mm-hmm. I knew at the end of the day, I had a job. It was a cool job, um, but it wasn't a business. I didn't own anything. Okay. Um, and so if I got hit by a bus, like game over. And so mm-hmm. when I started having a lot of people who are asking me about the speaking industry, I, I was like, I, I think there's something there. I think we could do some coaching, some training um, on that. And so I remember at this point where it's kind of this, this crossroads for me where I was uh, uh, starting to do some coaching and training, starting to get a little traction there. I was still doing a lot of speaking myself. And <clears throat> excuse me, I had a, a mentor I was talking to one time and uh, I still vividly remember this. And he told me two things. He said, one is you have to regularly find things where the challenge exceeds the skill set where the challenge exceeds the skill set. Meaning when for me, when, when I first started speaking, I felt way out of my comfort zone and the challenge exceeded the skill set. Well, what mm-hmm. happens is over time is it flips and the skill set exceeds the challenge. So at that point I could go, you know, stand in front of a thousand people and give a keynote and crush it, but just be on autopilot and just be kind of bored. And so the okay. skill set exceeds the challenge. And so he said, mm-hmm. you, you have to regularly find things where the challenge exceeds the skill set and you feel like you're in over your head, not, you know, not in an unhealthy way, but in a mm-hmm. way that just kind of pushes you and challenges. He's like, dang, I don't, you know, I'm gonna have to figure this out. Um, And so he said, you have to regularly find yourself in those type of situations. And the second thing he told me was, he said, Grant, there are people that are like born to be speakers. And this was him. He has been speaking for decades. He will speak to the, he will perform his own funeral. The guy loves to speak and that's all he does. But he said, I think you are an entrepreneur who happens to be a good speaker. And that really resonated with me. That really clicked with me because I've always loved entrepreneurship. I've always loved business. And so mm-hmm. made the decision to really start kind of doubling down on uh, the speaker lab and, and, and what we were doing here. Now, the company is far surpassed my expectations. I kind of figured like, all right, we'll probably hire a couple of people along the way. And, and you know, we'll just have our own little college industry here. And now, again, we're at a point where uh, we do eight figures in revenue. We have... Uh, 30 plus people on the team. And it's like, it's bigger than anything I fully expected. Um, I've never worked for a company this size. So uh, I've been self-employed for about 20 years now. So I I don't have any experience leading this, right? So every day is a new thing of going like, I, I don't know you know, I don't know about that HR question. I've never dealt with this mm-hmm. before. And I don't know, you know, I, you know, what layers of management we may need and, you know, what the org chart should look like or who we should hire next or who, who, how does this decision get made? You know, cause it's easy mm-hmm. when there's four of us, but when there's, you know, 34 of us, it's different. So it's mm-hmm. a lot of, for me, the past several years is just learning to, to be a CEO. I've never done this before. This has been bigger than I ever expected uh, or anticipated. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of things that I, I, I don't know. And I'm, I'm learning on the job, like, like, 
like everybody else. But I think it's okay to be vulnerable and honest with the the team on that of, hey, yeah. you know, for the most part, a lot of us are in positions we've never been before. And, um, uh, and you're on a, a fast moving train, just trying to keep up and trying to keep the train on the track. So yeah. but that's also kind of going back to what this advice that I got where the, the, the challenge exceeds the skill set. You know, there are days where just like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm over my head, but like, that's part of the fun of it. And you wake yeah. up and each day is kind of a new puzzle and trying to figure out how to assemble the pieces. Absolutely. And laying the tracks as you're thundering down them. Absolutely. <laughs> pretty much. Yep. Pretty much. And, and so where does your leadership style come from? Is it like, how has that evolved as a leadership style? Is it, was there ever a time where you sort of thought, oh, I need to go and learn from these people? Or was there a time where you said, no, I've got this, I'm going to figure it out. Where does that come from? Yeah, I think there are two things that I think I've done well um, within leading the company. One is to give people a lot of freedom, flexibility, and autonomy. I don't micromanage people. I don't babysit people. Um, one, we have three core values within the company. One of them, uh, and we talk about all three constantly. Uh, so it's not like, hey, these are three values you're going to hear about in orientation, and you we're never going to talk yeah. about again. You know, we talk about these all the time. Um, and one of them is ownership. And so we talk about when we, when when we talk about the company you may have heard me before, like I own hundred percent of the company, but I always talk about it as us, as we, mm -hmm. as our, we're all a part of this. I don't talk about it as my company and I, my thing. And here's Grant's whim. And I'm going to go up to the ivory tower and, and, you know, yell down to here's what you people need to be doing for me. I, I don't mm -hmm. think about it like that. And so we, we got here because a lot of people have worked really, really hard. Uh, and so I truly believe in, and we, us, our, and we believe in ownership. And so mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to babysit people. I don't want to micromanage people like hire, hire really good people and get other the way. Yeah. Um, there was a, a friend of mine who recently spent some time with Richard Branson on Necker Island. And uh, I said, all right, well, like, what's the big takeaway? You know, especially for someone like a Rich Branson who owns hundreds and hundreds of companies, uh, spends a lot of time on Necker Island, a lot of time having fun in life. Like, how does he do that? And he said the number one piece of advice he gave was when they start a business, when they acquire a business, whatever they do with the business is to put the right person in place and get out of the building. And I really believe in that. And so there's a lot of times where people may ask my input and like, hey, here's my two cents. If you want to follow that, if you want to do something totally different, I respect you. I trust you. You're in that spot for a reason. You're incentivized mm -hmm. accordingly, like with comp, for example, where people are uh -huh. uh, pretty much everybody in the company has some form of variable comp. So when the company does well, they do well. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not like, you know, how do we, how do we, again, follow Grant's whim or line Grant's pockets? It's like, no, we're, we're all a part of this. So, um, so just being really, really intentional about giving people autonomy and ownership to, you know, lead in ways that make sense for them. The second thing I think that's been really helpful is at the end of the day, you just really have to give a damn about people. Like you really have to cool. care about people. So this idea that, you know, who you are is more important than what you do. Like, I really, really believe that to the core of who I am. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's like, we're, we're uh, really intentional about that with people. When we, we talk with team members that we care about them, that they're not mm -hmm. some cog in a wheel, that they're not just part yeah. of some system and that they're not just a, you know, a line item or a paycheck, but like, no, no, like outside of this world of the speaker lab, like it's moms and dads and, and human beings. And, you know, we've got um, 30 plus team members, but that also means we have, you know, a hundred plus dependents who are, mm -hmm. you know, spouses and kids and family members who are counting on this thing working. Right. So, uh, so I think really caring about people and being interested in investing in people uh, has been another thing that's been, been really, really helpful for our growth. 
Fantastic, fantastic. And you, and you mentioned Richard Branson as as a leader that was sort of it, not necessarily in your ecosystem, but on your radar. Sure. Are there other leaders, past or present, famous or otherwise, that you particularly admire, or that you've seen them do something that resonated with you? Yeah, I think um, you know this this uh, someone that nobody would know, but this gentleman I was talking about earlier who gave me this piece of advice of um, of. The, Pursuing things where the challenge exceeds the skill set, and just the mm-hmm. advice to me personally about you know um, my own skill sets and, uh, and abilities, and like that was incredibly, incredibly impactful for me. And so he is definitely someone who is a, a huge mentor in my life. Um, we have a um, even though we're a virtual company, one thing that we do every nine, ten months or so is we have a, a team retreat, and so we pay mm-hmm. to bring everybody in together from all over. We house everybody. We hire a private chef. We have a lot of fun activities. Um, so it's half work, mostly fun, yeah. and just getting people together. So that's, you know, for a virtual company, that's another thing uh, that's been really valuable. We've got our third one that we've ever done coming up in about two weeks and everyone is just completely, completely stoked. But all that to say, this gentleman, um, his name is Phil Boyd and Phil is, we're bringing Phil in to come speak to the team. Um, And part of it is I want, I, I want to share with the team of like, hey, this is, and I've, they've heard me talk about Phil before, but part of it is me saying, hey, Phil had a huge impact on me and by proxy had a huge impact on the speaker lab and what we're all a part of. And so mm-hmm. bringing him in to, you know, help lead some stuff with the team and, and some different exercises and activities is going to be, be really, really fun. Yeah. Love that. And, and in terms of what you consume then, where do you learn from? You, you mentioned that, you know, you, you sort of take influences from, from all over, but are there books or is there a, a podcast? What kind of content are you consuming that's helping you on your journey as a leader? Yeah, there's. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts, um, specifically leadership podcasts. I listen to mm-hmm. um, it's a really good podcast by Andy Stanley, um, who's a uh, another one by Craig Rochelle. Um, the, those those are both really solid ones. Um, there's the podcast How I Built This, um, okay. which is interviews you know CEOs and, and usually like a bigger uh, publicly traded companies and kind of their story and journey of of what it looks like. Um, so that's been super helpful. I've also been really intentional just to surround myself with other mentors and people who mm-hmm. are a step or two ahead of me. There's a a coach that I work with that is. Uh, probably 20 years older than me, who's done well in business, but more importantly, is like uh, has a great marriage, been married for 40 something years, has two grown daughters that still love him and want to be around him. Uh, and so I, I pay him a good chunk of money and I have for uh, several years now. We do lunch once a month and you know, sometimes we'll talk business and a lot of times we'll just talk life. Like, Hey, how do I, uh, how do I help me to become a better husband, a better dad and a better human being? And, um, those types, like just being around people that just have like good wisdom in life has been Mm -hmm. really valuable. So surrounding myself with those type of people has been, uh, um, also really, really, uh, I think important has made a, a big, big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's important to have that balance, isn't it? It's, you know, it's all very well building the successful empire if there's nothing to show from it from a family perspective. And it's, yeah. it sounds like you've absolutely you're getting balance. Yeah. Like, like I said, the uh, I mean, I love entrepreneurship. I love podcasting. I love speaking. But my most important roles are being a, being a good husband, being a good mm-hmm. father. Um, I work really hard and I enjoy what I do, but I don't want to do that at the detriment of my relationships. And so, you know, my wife... Um, uh, she she had a choice, but she stuck with me at this point. But my girls didn't have a choice. You know, they they came out and they're like, "Oh, so you're the dad," uh, and so I, they're you know, I'm it. They, that's that, that's who they're stuck with for the rest of life. And so uh-huh. I, I just wanted to be the best possible father uh, to them, the best possible husband to to my wife. Um, and so that means like. I, I can't just grind and grind and grind and go and go and go, no matter how mm-hmm. much I enjoy it or uh, how much it, how fulfilling it may be. Um, 
but just making sure that I'm, I'm staying balanced with that. And it also, again, like surrounding uh, and looking at other people who have, you know, figured these things out along the way of mm-hmm. like, you can have your cake and eat it too. You know, like work-life balance is very much a real thing. And you can, you can be successful in your business as a CEO and have a healthy marriage and be a great parent. Like you, it's mm-hmm. not like one or the other. Uh, they, they can certainly coexist. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing your story with us. I think in terms of what else could be valuable to the audience as well, I'd be really interested in how, if there are leaders listening that want to transition into a speaking career or want to just become a better speaker so that they can add value as a a business owner or a business leader, what advice would you have for them? Yeah, that's a great question. We work with a lot of CEOs and people in different companies who I've learned some things in business or I want to share this or some things that we do in our company or with our teams. And, you know, people ask me all the time about, you know, sales advice or marketing advice or whatever it may be that, you know, a viewer or listener may be uh, getting asked about. And so, yeah, there are huge, huge opportunities for for speaking. And so, um, you know, one of the, the core things that we teach is we teach a, a five-step framework that makes the acronym SPEAK, S-P-E-A-K. And we call it the Speaker Success roadmap. So uh, I can give you kind of a high level overview and we can jump in if you want wherever. But uh, the S is for selecting a problem to solve, meaning like you got to be really, really clear about what the problem is that you're solving and solve one specific problem for one specific audience. The mistake that a lot of speakers make is we try to go as broad and vague as possible. And so who do I speak to? I I don't know. I speak to people. I speak to humans. My message is for everybody. And what do I speak about? I don't know. What do you want me to speak about? I can speak about anything. It's like that just doesn't work. Again, solve Mm -hmm. one specific problem for one specific audience. Uh, the second thing, P, is to prepare your talk. Be be really, really clear on like what's the solution that you are providing to an audience and how are you going to provide that? Is that in person or is that virtual? There are massive opportunities virtually that largely didn't exist prior to the pandemic. Uh, so there's there's being clear on, on what's the solution you're providing. The E is to establish yourself as the expert. So two key marketing assets that we teach that you, you need. You need a website and a demo video. Uh, in this day and age, if you don't have a website, you don't exist. It's hard to take you seriously. Got to have a website. And a demo video is basically think of it like a movie trailer. You know, before mm-hmm. anybody would go see a movie, I, I don't need to see a, a long thing about it. I just need to see like two or three minutes. And within those two or three minutes, you have an idea of like who's in it, what's the plot, what's the theme, what's the genre. And the goal of a demo video and the goal of a movie trailer is to make you want to see more. And so an, an event planner, decision maker, they are in the risk mitigation business. And so mm-hmm. before I hire you, before I put you up on stage, before I hand you a microphone in front of my audience, and before I pay you, I got to make sure you're a good fit. And so they're going to want to see something. And so that's what that, that demo video is. The next part, A, is to acquire paid speaking gigs. And so this is where you have like a clear process and a framework of how do you find gigs. The mistake a lot of people make is I have my website and my video, and now I just sit back and I wait for the phone to ring. And that mm-hmm. just does not work. So you got to be much more proactive rather than reactive and have a system to reach out and to, uh, identify event planners, decision makers, to not only reach out, but then to follow up. And that's uh, the core of what we teach. Then the last part, K, is know when to scale, meaning a lot of people who are interested in speaking are also interested in writing a book or doing a course or coaching or consulting. And you can do all the mm-hmm. things, but you can't do all the things at once. So something's mm-hmm. going to come first. Something's going to come last. You got to be really clear and intentional about how uh, speaking fits into the mix. So again, I know I went through that quickly, but that's just kind of a high level overview of what we teach for someone who's going like, I've done some speaking. I'm interested in speaking. Would love to do more speaking. No mm-hmm. idea. How do I get started? Where do I go from here? Yeah, that's helpful. And your website's great. Uh, you know, I was having a look through, obviously, in the research, I was having a look through. There's some really great resources on there. So we'll Thank put you. a link. If you're open to that, we'll put a link in the show notes yeah. so anyone that's listening that's interested can log on and take a look there. Awesome. Very good. We yeah. appreciate that. Amazing. And so what's going to be happening over the next six, nine, 12 months besides the retreat that you're excited about within the business? What can you share with us? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about internally with the team is uh, we want the speaker lab to be the best possible place that team members ever work. Meaning like everybody that comes and works with with any of us that are watching or listening to us are like sharp quality people who have an abundance of choices, right? So they mm -hmm. could work with you, they could work in another company, they could do their own thing. And so I always like tell team members, uh, I want to make it really, really hard for you to leave. Not in a manipulative way, but in a way of saying like, uh, it's so good here. Like the grass mm -hmm. is not greener over there. Like it's awesome here. And so, for example, I had a, a team member tell me the other day, I said, uh, um, you've been here about a year now. Like, how's it going? What do you think? And he said, this is the first job I've had where I'm not thinking about my next job. Huh. Where how often is that the case for employees where it's like, I'm here, but I'm already thinking about, I'm looking for something else. I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I'm updating my LinkedIn profile. I'm putting the word out with some friends. Maybe I'm posting something on social that I'm looking. I'm just always in that perpetual state of looking. And he's like, I ain't looking like I'm, I'm here as long as you're going to let me stay here. And that's great. Like, that's all awesome. like, it's you, yeah. like as CEOs, it's hard to find great people. It's hard to retain great people. And so you got to be intentional about creating that type of environment. So mm -hmm. for me, like the next, you know, six to 12 months or beyond, I, I, I love what we do. I love the impact that we're making with our students, with our clients. But I also love when we bring on new team members. So we had a new team member join uh, this week and I did an orientation with them yesterday, talking through our, our mission and our core values, our vision, um, our history, how we got to this point. And they're just like, golly, this sounds like, well, here's what they said. They said, I, I had everyone tell me that this place was top notch and I, I was a bit skeptical. And somehow now that I've been here just a couple of days, it's somehow better than I expected. And uh -huh. I love that. And so how do we continue to create that environment where it doesn't mean that we're perfect. That doesn't mean that like every day is amazing, but like mm -hmm. as a general rule, they're like, I, I love it here. I love being here. And I know the work that we're doing matters. I know that my team cares about me. I know that the, that my coworkers believe in me and are rooting for me. I know that people are supporting me. Like I have a freedom of flexibility and autonomy to work from whenever wherever like this is awesome like what more yeah. what more do i want so continuing to cultivate that environment and add people into that environment is really fulfilling and rewarding yeah absolutely well i wish you the best of luck with it clearly clearly you're doing great things building a great business and and being a very human ceo so thank you for joining us it's been thanks, great to Amy. Be with us. appreciate thanks, that Tom.